Welcome to State of Mind. This is Julian Royce. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today I'm speaking with Kevin McKegg and Guy Guri. They both work as coaches here in the Boulder, Denver area of Colorado. This conversation was more spontaneous than most. They came over and we decided to record something and I thought it came out pretty well. We talk about a number of different topics, everything from how coaching and therapy can help one to develop to deeper stages of growth and what that might mean, things like integration, as well as what does a healthy masculine look like in today's world, which I think is a really important question to be asking right now. Uh, We also discuss spirituality in general, meditation, and duality versus non-duality. Check out the show notes for some links to learn more about each of them. And I got a message from a listener that I want to read. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to paraphrase. I'm not going to say their name because it's a sensitive topic. But they write to me and they say, thank you so much for your podcast and the episode I did on Naropa University last summer. They write, I'm in the contemplative psychology Buddhist program at Naropa at least for another few weeks. I was swiftly canceled by the program after I broached my concern about discrimination against, quote, old white men, end quote. The department chair officially accused me of all kinds of shortcomings, such as patriarchal communication. They write that they and several of their soon-to-be former cohort members are leaving Naropa and figuring out a way to become healers and therapists, despite the woke takeover of Naropa. Thank you for writing, and I'm sorry that's happening to you. And it's a big conversation, a big topic, and one that I'm going to be addressing in the podcast again in the near future. As I talk about in this conversation in today's episode with Guy and Kevin, these are really important and obviously sensitive subjects. And I just, I think that we should be encouraging open-hearted, honest conversation and dialogue and debate and investigation. Um, But unfortunately, what seems to be happening at Naropa, and it really breaks my heart that this is so, and I think it's happening in other universities across the country, is that the people in charge are kind of saying, you have to believe this way or you're not okay, and you're part of the problem. And I just think that that's a really dangerous approach, and it deserves to be spoken out against. Um, It's a kind of ideological takeover, and a kind of pigeonholing of people and ideas. And uh, higher education should really be about, you know, investigating and discovering what's true for yourself, and forming your own opinions and your own thoughts on things. It shouldn't be about trying to cram people into a certain cookie-cutter shape This is the way you're supposed to believe. And if you say the wrong thing, we're going to kick you out of the school. You know, I mean, that's just, (laughs) I I hate that that kind of thing is happening. So obviously, I don't know the particulars of, you know, this particular case or this particular situation. But to take this listener at their word, they're describing a situation in which they were disciplined and kind of publicly shamed for trying to express their own thoughts and opinions and question some of the kind of woke tenets around things like critical race theory and the fact that just because a so-called old white person wrote something, like that fact in and of itself isn't grounds to throw out their whole theory. I mean, obviously, if you're studying psychology, a lot of it did come from old white people. <laughs> and there is stuff to, to criticize there and look at critically, but there's also a lot to appreciate. And so it's just so sad that to hear that Naropa seems like it's being taken to a more and more extremist place. As I shared about in that episode last summer, I kind of witnessed that starting to happen while I was a student there and getting worse and worse. And um, unfortunately, it just seems like they're doubling down on this kind of enforced activism, kind of enforced conformity to beliefs and ideology around what is now being called wokeness. 
There is a wonderful book about this called The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt, which I highly recommend, and kind of explains the ways in which this new ideology has taken over the universities in this country and the profound implications for that. So I'm going to leave that for now. As always, you can support this podcast at patreon.com backslash a state of mind. Check out our website, astateofmindpodcast.com, and you can learn more about my work at astateofmindcounseling.org. And I've got a new article up and another new article coming out soon. So stay tuned for that. Without further ado, I bring you Guy and Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, this the snippety snip stuff wasn't part of the. Uh... <laughs> that was all part of the sound check. <laughs> the clap will help sync it up. Yeah. We were rapping yeah, we're before. Rolling. You didn't get to see that. <laughs> so I'm here today with Kevin and Guy, and I'm Julian, host of State of Mind podcast. And these are two friends of mine who both work as coaches, working a lot with men. You guys want to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Guy Gurry, and I'm a life coach. And my coaching practice is really focused on uh, human thriving, like helping people achieve more of their dreams, moving towards their life's purpose with meaning, having more fun, and helping them give them tools to navigate the challenges. That's, I believe, part of this epic, epic game that we're all playing. Mm. You said game? Game. Yeah. Game. Yeah. 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 I think that's a beautiful metaphor for uh, approaching life. Well, it's funny. There's something kind of cynical about it, but I don't think that's what you mean. You're talking about like a, like a game that actually has, I don't know, like a benevolent outcome of, of some sort. Yeah, you know, so there's different qualities. There's different kinds of games we can be playing. You know, there's like, there's twisted games, which, you know, yeah. we can sometimes feel like we're a part of, but then there's also like the, the game that's like fun that's like enlivening, that like enlivens your spirit, that you feel inspired mm. to play, that's like cooperative with other people. Sure. And nice. that's the kind of game that I feel inspired to bring into my life and to also help people live more into. Mm. I love that. I love the work yeah. you're doing. So yeah, my name is Kevin McKegg and I'm a life coach as well, like Guy is. And I work mainly with teaching meditation and breath work for similar kind of interventions as you, like... How do we get you to where you want to be, both in your professional life, your significant other, romance, and also how do we get you stabilized into awareness? And that's mainly what I'm working on right now is, is getting people into awareness states hmm. that create meaning or create space for meaning, deeper meaning to emerge. Because we, we talked earlier about this idea of development um, personally happening from an engagement with with life and all of its challenges. And yet you really need the inner space to be able to actually uh, change and transform in the face of, of challenges. So mm -hmm. that's kind of my thing. That's like I'm a developmentalist in that sense. Yeah, I appreciate agreeing in meditation. Yeah. And what, what you were saying about games made me think of a book called Infinite Games. Mm -hmm. Finite and Infinite Games. Yeah, Finite and Infinite Games and that we can play a bigger game 
that we're all part of where there isn't really some ultimate winning or losing, you know, but it's more about staying in the game, being a part of the game, partici- engaging, participating. Yeah. Yeah. Those who are forced right. to play cannot play. <laughs> Was that a tenet of the, the final you game? You haven't seen yeah, Squid Game. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's not a game when death is, you know, the final thing. But I guess the big infinite game would be like if we kept getting reborn, then it would. I mean, isn't it? Infinite game. Right, because we're all going to die, right? And we all have strategies for kind of coping with that in our lives of like, how do we put off the anxiety that we're limited and finite and mortal? (laughs) (laughs) And that's the game that we're all playing. Um, So I'm just playing devil's advocate around this because I think absolutely all of us do have to play a finite game, right? Mm. Although I haven't read this book, so I don't know the the arguments. (laughs) In the sense of death. Yeah, in the sense that as individuals, at least we're going to die. And right. that our, our culture is also mortal, and like COVID kind of gave us a really good dose of yeah. how fragile we are. So I think I think that's that could that's true, or it could be true. That you know, certain finality, at least for this life. But when we recognize that, and it's true for all of us, it kind of equalizes things. And I think that opens up that infinite game perspective because we're all going to die anyway. Mm-hmm. So there isn't really whether you're Jeff Bezos or the guy on the sidewalk. If the ultimate end is the same in death, then. There is a kind of game quality to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the games, the game, the death means the end of this game, the game, the end of the game on on this plane, on this realm, right? And it's like how we approach death also determines how we play the game. That's that's another cool thing. It's like the way we conceive of death. If we conceive of death in a certain way, that's like oh, it's something terrible. We have I have to avoid it, or it's if we like fight and resist the concept of death, that's going to influence how you play the game right now, right? Mm. So I think you can have different attitudes towards death that are actually more conducive to having a, a more worthwhile, fun, and exciting game. Yeah, absolutely. And also, despite the fact that we're all going to die, some of us do better than others for some reason, and some of us hmm. overcome obstacles and attract you know, wealth, prosperity to ourselves, <coughs> create mating privileges um, with like you know, finer women at like the top of the spectrum there, and there's there's this accumulation kind of of merit in our Western culture, but I don't think it's just in the West. Um, it's kind of like some people do it better than others, and a lot of people are going to probably try to flay me for saying that in the name of equality. But it, it kind of like is that way, and it's important to keep your eye on. That's like depending how you play the game is mm-hmm. is the outcome probably that you're gonna get back, right, that you're going to magnetize. So it's a scary proposition for a lot of people um, in the equality camp. It's true, but if you just look at your, your own personal history, you can, if you're like a person who's into growing and developing, you can see that your game, the way you play the game is actually developed and grown over the years. So there, there are ways we actually can get better at playing the game as we grow and develop and learn mm. more about how to play. And Absolutely. The more we set our aim Right, because that's why you want to hire a guy. There's a goal. (laughs) (laughs) We help you be better at everything. That's right. I think I like the idea of game. It makes me think like if you're too too lax and not concerned about winning or losing, you don't care at all. You're probably not going to actually do that well in a given game, like say basketball. But if you're too serious and too uptight and too invested that's also going to detract from 
Well, from being able to win. So you can have that like sense of flow where you're like really present, bad, really loose yeah. at the same time. I, I agree with you, except Jordan 96, because that guy was <laughs> so fucking intense. You know? And he, he won the hell out of like yeah. six championships. So, um, But I agree with you in general about the state of flow and finding the balance between what? Being and, and doing, right? Mm-hmm. The masculine and the, masculine the feminine faces. That's right. That's right. A, a game that's um, that's balanced between masculine and feminine, you got to have the right amount of structure in place where it, it doesn't like limit too much. It's not tyrannical. It's not imposing. Just enough structure right. where you, the, the spirit of the game can really come through and you can have room to really yeah. play in the game. Yeah, that would be the, the proper balance between competition and cooperation. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Agency and communion. Right, exactly. <laughs> so right now I'm competing with you because you obviously look a lot better than I am, so I'm trying to compensate in whatever way that I can on video here. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I'm cooperating by allowing you to do that. <laughs> Thank you. That's <laughs> magnanimous of you. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I knew this was going to be a boring podcast. <laughs> it's like droll and boring. I was going to say the example of Jordan in '96 is a good one because, like, that's witnessing something amazing. But like both sides of that, both teams, if you ask them before the game, they're like, "Yeah, we're going to win. We're 100% confident." And I had a coach use that as an example of like that confidence gives you an edge. So of course, like any championship, like everyone on the other team is going to try to have that confidence. But in the case of Michael Jordan. When I watch a replay, it's and maybe this is just in retrospect, but you can just see a certain level of like rock solid confidence. Like no one's going to take that away from him. I think that's something different then, because uh, what you're talking about, I think, is arrogance uh, mm. of this. Like even though I could lose or I could win, I'm going to prop myself up and convince myself that I'm going to win no matter what. But Jordan was just like a beast. It was just like a spirit in him that was indomitable. Wasn't gonna. Yeah, but Lau was also very arrogant. So, (laughs) well, there's something about witnessing like great players play games. You know, like I was a huge Michael Jordan fan growing up. Like my my family were Pistons fans because we were born in uh, Michigan. (laughs) A house divided. That's right. And I switched allegiances with my family because Jordan was so great. You know, I, I left. It's kind of like I left the family history and tradition like now I'm choosing that guy because he um you you, you got disowned that's right on on the street (laughs) shooting heroin well you know it was worth it though (laughs) (laughs) when we watch players play games we get to watch greatness you know and then that's the greatness that we see in other players I think is the greatness that we can actually embody and it it translates you know like like singular greatness at basketball translates to like what do I have to do to be that guy in my life? Right. Like when you're right. a teenager, it's like with girls, like, you know, to ace my classes, to get into the good school, to like be a top player, like right. whatever it is. I think, I guess that's what I'm... I was none of those, by the way, in high school, so... <laughs> <laughs> I think the sports analogy, it's like in the game of life, there isn't, like it's, uh, you can kind of find that inner Michael Jordan but there's not, at the end of the day, a team that has to lose for you to do that. Like, we can all do that. Like, I believe everyone can be their best version of themselves. And that's mm. me in the game. And that there's not a loser in that. Mm. Maybe I'm cynical, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I just mean, like, <clears throat> I look at the problem of homelessness, for example. And 
and the way that the economy tends to stratify and become more extreme and it has created a culture of winners and losers and it doesn't seem like that's been just our western culture that seems to be the way things have been for a very long time Mm -hmm. Uh, peterson talks about that a lot actually where he'll talk about how they do like excavation at ancient grave sites and you know some graves will have like all the treasure in it some graves Mm -hmm. like they'll have like a stick you know and the, this wealth stratification seems to be kind of a, a law or a rule somehow. And I agree with you that everybody has the the option to come from a place within. And and what? How would you say that? Like the equality of being able to be however you want in life, kind of is seems yeah. like what you're getting at. I'm not sure how to define it exactly, other than like an inner knowing that you're doing the best you can, showing up as full as you can living on your edge, whatever that means for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a question for you as a developmentalist, having studied integral. Do you think that what he just said is a hallmark of any given stage? And do you think that, do you think it's a luxury of having developed to a certain point of, of being self-authoring, for example? Mm-hmm. Well, so yeah, there, there definitely seems like a developmental aspect to it. Because when you're in the self-authoring mode, you have way more agency on the directions you choose, you get to choose your self-authoring. You're kind of choosing the story and writing your story mm-hmm. as, as you're playing the game, right? So there's a, a tremendous amount of additional freedom that you have when you can like start to recognize your own values and your own genius. And I think that's where the greatness actually maybe start starts to happen. Mm-hmm. It's because I think we all have genius, we all have greatness, and whatever we see out in the world, like whether it's a negative or a positive, like. Uh, quality that we see, I think it's all mirrors. It's all reflections mm. of who we are. So seeing greatness in a basketball player, you're seeing your own greatness. Now, you may not be great nice. at basketball, but there is something that you could be great at, nice. right? Yeah. yeah, and it's about finding that greatness mm. inside of you that I think is like, that's a worthy uh, aspiration to to cultivate that and, and cover your own genius. Yeah, I love I love that perspective. And I'm not willing to concede my point that being self-authoring isn't a luxury of a, a given developmental stage and that prior to that maybe it wouldn't be as possible. But I love I love that. Yeah. I love that. I think it's a really seeing your seeing yourself not in a narcissistic way, but like hmm. the homelessness and the like I drive like for lift on the side. So like I'll drive people who are in really dire straits and withdrawn from heroin or like homeless and like are Mm. missing teeth or like, I'm always trying to figure out ways that I'm, this is a mirror to me in the Mm. sense that it, not in a narcissistic sense, but in the sense that it takes away the arrogance of me not feeling like immediate sense of compassion, you know, for kind of whatever's going on in my field, even if I think it's, whatever below me in my kind of arrogant way that I do. So hmm. yeah, that's, you must meet so many different people yeah. driving around, but I think it's a rich, it's rich to have three, three of us here together and straight different perspectives. And, um, cause I think it's like a both and like there's truth in Kevin's perspective that there are like economically, at least there are winners and losers Any, mm-hmm. anything you could like actually measure. Yeah. I think there's truth in that. So it's good to like recognize that and wrestle with it. And you're, I think it's a good point that a lot of people don't want to accept that. Yeah. Sure. Well, and it's yeah, it's it's also a good point that at at a certain um, place in yourself, there's a way to transcend your current limitations. 
Yeah. Simply because you exist. <laughs> you know? yeah. And that's really a leveling of the playing field. So I want to ask a bigger question, maybe hear your guys' perspective, but I think it's like I hear a lot of people say modern masculinity is in crisis. What does it even mean to be a man today? Uh, you know, all the Me Too stuff, all the criticism of the patriarchy. Hmm. The question of what does it mean to be a healthy man with integrity, actually helping in the world, is an open one. Yeah, I think it's a super important one. I think it's one of the most important questions people are asking today. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and not a freedom that I take for granted. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear your, your thoughts about that. It's, it's a huge question. question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a huge question. <laughs> well, I can, I can, uh, I just, I think part of what I'm up to is trying to articulate a positive vision that we can aspire to. And I'm finding that in some people, like I think Jordan Peterson's a good yeah. person who speaks to this kind of stuff. And there's, so there are people out there doing it, but just on a level of culture, it's like, it's almost like there's a battle happening. Mm -hmm. Certainly. The stakes feel pretty high. Like if I had a son right now who was growing up in a school that was dominated by certain ways of thinking Wokeness. or history or yeah, I would be concerned, you know, to be honest. So. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, I think, <clears throat> I think you start with the biology and just honor the de facto limitations and strengths of being born into a masculine body. Period. Um, so like just in that statement, there, there's an assertion that there is such a thing as a masculine body that you can be born into. Correct. That is measurable through science. Mm -hmm. And that has given biological right. reality. There's a biological reality. Yeah. 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 And, and it, it saddens me and confuses me when people try to debate the reality of that which can be measured scientifically as biology. I don't know about you. Well, I'm super infuriated. I, I, know, I know that masculine and feminine are constructs and they're helpful constructs and yada yada and, and you can do whatever you want and you can be a two-souled person and like all of that I, I give credit to where it's due but, but also it's like yeah, I don't know. I could go on a rant about this but <laughs> I don't want to get castrated by anyone. Well, there's like there's, there's kind of two things <laughs> There's like there's like the biology of, of male and you know male man and woman, and there's also the uh, the social construct of it, like the identity of like what it means to be a man. And you know Jordan Peterson will like speak about like his different levels of the hierarchy of roles of identity that we all uh, live in and all we play in. Like at the bottom, it's a good person, and underneath that might be like a, a man or a woman, and, and how do we live out that social role? And I just know as a man that, that there's a lot of weight, especially growing up and experiencing, there's a lot of social pressure to show up in a certain way as a man. And what that exactly means is oftentimes, like the messages that we've been given when we were boys growing up, what, what it means to be a man, right? And I think that we're... And are, are you saying that a lot of those messages are anachronisms they're so archaic I, bullshit that you can, yeah kind of like it's I like schwarzenegger <laughs> with the bazooka you know i, I think i think there's yeah. a paradigm shift that that's that's taking place that's what i grew up right? in yeah totally. <laughs> right this machismo machismo like, yeah. machismo, yeah. like okay. man's man kind of thing which okay. is essentially like you know to be a man means to be strong yeah and to be strong means i can't be vulnerable i can't feel mm -hmm. my feelings like i need to i can't do anything that appears as weak 
right? And yeah, so let's let's flesh this out. Yeah, it's like what does it what does it mean to be a man at a pre-conventional or conventional level? Yeah, it's like strength. Hmm. It's like you get all the ladies. It's like you're unstoppable. Um, what else? Top of the status hierarchy. Top of the status. Top of all the, the money. All the money. Yeah. Yeah. And like these are like the values that are given to men. It's like this is what it means to be a man. And like I said, anachronistic, but I think a lot of it is based in a a concept of masculinity that's, that's way too on the masculine side and doesn't actually embrace the feminine side. Because I think uh, the new paradigm we're moving into is there's masculine and there's feminine. And to be an integrated man means to have access to your feminine also. Like, not in the uh, woo-woo, like, I'm going to cry all the time, like, the collapse, new agey <laughs> kind of man. Because I think that went to... Push, the, up, push yeah. over spiritual dorks. <laughs> That's right. Like, I think they that don't have a went job. to the other <laughs> end of the spectrum. <laughs> I, I agree with you, man. And, and I, I listen to a lot of David Data and follow him and, and love his work. So he would agree with you on point that it is evolving through paradigms. And it's not just two, but you... You, you evolve out of the traditionalist machismo role and into a kind of more, a deeper embrace of the feminine and your kind of, your counterpart. But then oftentimes, and you know this through the developmental lens, it's like you kind of go far to the other side of the pendulum and then become exactly what we were just talking about. And it's kind of a necessary stage, this uh, feminizing of, mm. of males, um, to reclaim a kind of inherent wholeness that's already there and that maybe is more spiritual than a traditional conventional concrete role. But then the real work then is into a new paradigm is, um, and paradigm just means pattern, right? Thomas Kuhn's structure of scientific, uh, scientific revolutions. Um, then the new paradigm would be you're integrating these aspects of yourself. And yes, you are able to feel deeply and not cut off from your emotions, but also you're able to um, take a bazooka to a helicopter if it's called upon mm-hmm. you, yeah. which, you know, you do. I mean, you want the best of both worlds. Exactly. Too, right? Yeah, you want the it, integration of and both. And it's the kind of quality that like, in really inspiring leaders have. Like, they don't just bulldoze and command. Mm-hmm. They actually listen to um, the people who they're serving in a leadership role. And they also are holding the vision of where they want to go, right? Mm-hmm. And leading the group in that direction, right? Yeah. Hmm. yeah, I love that. I've heard that described as responsive leadership instead mm-hmm. of reactive leadership. Nice. Yeah, so I think that's a really elegant terminology. It seems like there's such a lack of public figures in politics, for example, who are really embodying what you guys are talking about. Yeah. I love your description of it. I think it's it's spot on. Hmm. It's a um, huge I mean, that's who I respect. You know, mm-hmm. you know, really people who are spiritual but also incredibly strong, mm-hmm. and you know, who are really holding it down in, in the economic realm as well as the kind of spiritual realms. That's what I'm yeah. trying to do. Yeah. To, to be of service, but to also, you know, serve yourself, to respect yourself. It's interesting. I think I'm, it's like, almost like I'm curious what will happen with our society. Cause I, what, part of what I see is the people that, that I see getting like people really admire and respect and want to be like, aren't the people in the Oval Office. And so what's going to happen to, <laughs> what's going to happen to our country when, yeah. when that's the case for however many years. And like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like mm. our, our political leadership is like not where it should be. 
Well, it's like I think the leadership is a reflection, in large part, a reflection of the consciousness level of where the people are at, right? The more we develop more conscious people, the more like, we grow as a people. Like I like I like the term frequency because I think it speaks to um, like levels and vibration. The consciousness vibrates at different levels, mm. and and it, the higher it goes, like the more out of fear-based and uh, victim-based consciousness we get to, and we move into our hearts. That's the, the more trustable leadership becomes. We just have like a it's a population where we're kind of still like fighting our way out of that fear-based mode yeah. until mm. we we do or, or like a certain percentage of the population <coughs> gets to like certain higher levels of consciousness. We're still sure. going to be putting in leaders who are embodying that old form. Sure. Well, I have a more pessimistic viewpoint, which is is that there's kind of this intractable conflict going on and stalemating us at these levels of fear around pretty much yeah. everything fear of the unknown, I guess you could summarize it as, and when you're talking about moving up in frequency, are you talking about, um, Hawkins work? David Hawkins. Yeah. 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 You, this would be interesting actually, probably for our audience, if anybody decides to listen to this, which I highly suggest against, but, <laughs> but, uh, Hawkins work just like briefly, do you want to just outline that? Cause that's a really interesting framework well, can I? Okay, I just want to push back against one point. Oh hell yeah! I don't, uh-huh. I don't believe that our up in here. I don't believe our political reality is actually reflecting the consciousness of the people here. I think it's, you know, I think the average person, if you talk to them, is like at a higher level of development than someone like Donald Trump in a lot of ways. Ah, uh, I wasn't going to mention his. And we have a we have shit. a system where we're forced to make these terrible choices, and like it's somehow the lowest common denominator is winning. And so I just. I actually, I actually have more hope. Like I think that people in general are more educated than ever before, and that there's hope that that, that people are more intelligent than we give them credit for when you look at something like our politics. Are you pushing mm-hmm. against my pessimism around the state of the nation, or are you pushing against? Because I seem like relatively optimistic about. <laughs> I, I do feel optimistic. I'm pushing, I'm pushing yeah. against the idea that <laughs> our president is reflecting our country as a whole. I think the system's right. gotten so messed oh. up. It's not actually reflecting well, who we are as a people. I agree, man. That's mm-hmm. something I was going to say before. That I there are plenty of good people in the Oval Office. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, of course there there are good politicians. There are people who are really trying to push the ball in the right direction. But it seems like now the people are the most pathological get the most airtime right, right and so like the ones yeah. that are like craziest and the worst for us get the most are the loudest yeah you know what i mean well it's like why is that so right you know we mm-hmm. have like a media that really uh mainstream media that really feeds off that kind of division off of that kind of polarization yeah and the reason why it, it feeds off they feed off that because that's what people watch you know, that's, that's where the eyeballs goes. That's where they make the most money when they talk about Trump, when they talk about things that are, like, depolarizing. That's where, like, uh, the attention goes. For, you know, that's yeah. how they get their revenue. Like, right. They come in. So it's like, is it a reflection? Well, I guess it's a reflection of something. Maybe the overall system, so to speak. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's operating. Or, or, or is it the reflection of the worst of ourselves? That's what I'm Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. It's, almost, it's almost like saying... McDonald's is the most popular restaurant in the country, so that reflects what America is. And yeah, it's maybe some small degree, but most Americans know it's not good for you. Doesn't mean they don't ever eat there, obviously. But yeah, that's a good point. It's like yeah, it appeals to our lower nature, our kind of base, like quick fix, quick attention. Mm-hmm. Give me that hit of adrenaline or that spark of outrage or that 
10,000 calories in like two seconds. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'll, I'll amend what I said. Yeah. Maybe it's not like a perfect reflection. It doesn't reflect all of us, but it's definitely shining a light on something. Sure. That's, yeah. that's within yeah. the, the I, I think when, when collective conscious the KKK came out in 2017 with their Tiki torches, that was the first time in my mind mm-hmm. that really a subsect like that got that much airtime because of social media and because Right. of what seemed like an escalation and polarization right. around the 2016 election between Hillary Clinton and Trump. And it just, it was madness. Everybody was like, what the hell is going on? But yeah. the shock value just increased over the following four years, you know, culminating in a worldwide epidemic. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. still kind of in shock about the past five years. Yeah, you're not alone. It's been, it's been a weird, wild time. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a big moment. The Tiki Torch was on yeah. TV. And the, yeah. It's yeah. like, these motherfuckers still exist? <laughs> yeah. They're like, burning like, effigies? Wait, like, wait, what year are we in? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, t- talk about doing shadow work, right? About seeing that and, and trying to integrate the essential truth of such a loathsome group. And, mm-hmm. Which is what? We, we stick together. We bend together. We will not be silenced. We believe what we believe. There's, I mean, there are you know tenets inside of that developmental stage that are really worth integrating. But Jesus Christ! Yeah, I think one way we can look at that, and I'll bring back David Hawkins' work. Yeah, and yeah. actually, the work yeah. of the, the gene Thanks. keys is is through like consciousness, like the levels of consciousness. And Hawkins found a way through muscle kinesiology to measure levels of consciousness. And so consciousness is operating at at certain frequencies and levels and like it's it operates on a logarithmic scale and if you're below 200 on that logarithmic scale it pretty much means that you're operating in some sort of fear-based victim-based consciousness like Mm. the the densest uh, frequency on that scale is is shame right shame Mm. humiliation that operates at about 20 that's where you get like a lot of self-hatred that exists at that level and you can move up the levels towards grief you know towards apathy and in so, like, grief is a little bit above apathy, right? And, this, and to the extent that if you're, hmm. if you're apathetic and numb and you start crying, it's actually a good thing, you know? You're that's actually feeling something. That's, actually, that's been true in my life, yeah. for sure. You're actually moving in the right direction. You're feeling yeah, something. Right. Yeah, we talked before about having stuck pockets of, of shadow of these mm-hmm. kind of lower frequency vibrations, you would call it, I guess, or... Or uh, just stuck emotions, in my experience. And yeah, it, when I encounter, say, grief, usually there's a veil of of numbness and discomfort, but it never feels at first like sadness. It's kind of like doing breath work, sitting with it, um, you know, talking with my coach or seeing something terrible in the world, which I do a lot because I'm out and about quite a lot. Um, in sometimes really bad areas of town, um, will kind of bring to bear this deep feeling. And in order to get things done, I usually have conveniently compartmentalized it. But um, my point was that with many of us, there are these kind of pockets mm-hmm. of, of emotionality, fear, mm. grief, Absolutely. apathy, trauma, etc., Mm-hmm. And contacting those takes a lot of bravery and skill and space, but um, mm-hmm. it's happened to me Monday. Like, I had a really intense weekend, and then I slept 12 hours, and I woke up, and I was practicing meditation, as you do. Uh, <laughs> 
And just, I had this moment of deep discomfort in my body and my body physically clenched like this because there was so much pain. I felt so much pain in me. And then that uh, shaking motion of me clenching released all of this emotional turbulence. And then I just started bawling for like 40 minutes. Mm. Oh. And just my body was clenching and shaking and I was crying and probably looked like a hot mess, you know, I'm sure. But it was so cathartic. I felt so clear mm-hmm. afterwards. Like, like it was moving out of you. Moving yeah, through. like just a big purge. Yes. All the demons were coming out. It's a good thing to share. I'm just joking. I don't have any demons. I'm perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's when it comes down to like, you know, bringing in the, tying in the masculine to this. That's yeah. Like, like this masculine and this old paradigm way of not feeling your feelings, right? Of not feeling your feelings. your feelings. Shut up, boy. That's like, <laughs> then that energy doesn't. Boys move. don't cry. You don't cry, right? So you don't feel sad. You don't feel grief. You got to lock that away. Yeah. And then that, that'll have that consciousness, like, you how to get stuck. You'll get stuck in that place. And, and then that, yeah. well, and it weakens you because it's corrosive. It weakens you. you don't it touch affects, into it. It affects the way you yeah. see the world. If you don't process your anger, yeah. then the world is going to look like an angry place. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> also, cheers to you, my yeah. friend. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or if you're uh, apathetic and bitter, then the mm. world's going to look like empty, hopeless, hopeless. Right? there's no, you can look in your future. You're not going to see any hope, right? It, it affects right. the way you perceive, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Cause your emotional tone, even if you're trying to cut off from it, is still running the show. Cause it's so foundational to who you are. You have the physical level, then you have the libidinal emotional level and then the mental level and the mental level is really good at cutting off. I am a robot. I do not feel anything, but it's like, you're still being run. And your, your worldview is still informed by those those lower, more archaic levels. That's right. Which is another form, I'd say, another form of masculine dominate, masculine, let's say, principle domination, the mind mm. over the body, is another way that that kind of mm. game looks out in the psycho-spiritual-emotional level, when the mind tries to control the feelings, so to speak. I haven't heard that term before. Mm. Mm-hmm. Masculine principle domination, what does that mean? It's, uh, it's, it's like a, an over-masculinized, like, like mm. a mental mask, because the, the mind is, is principle. Is, so, principle so, is, you, so you mean like, like my set of values means that I have to be stoic and hard and not care about people. And that would be the principle that I'm using to kind of get away from my experience. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's kind of what I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. True though. Hmm. It makes me think of, uh, being integrated to come back to that word. Yeah. Remember, like we have access to our emotions, but I also don't want to be controlled by them or run by them or like if I have a job and I don't show up and I'm at home crying, like that's probably not gonna, you know, there's just, you will get fired. Of, yeah. yeah. Right. You will get fired. There's a certain level of like maturity that where you can still show up in the ways you need to show up. And so you actually can compartmentalize yes. and put it to the side for a while. It's actually a developmental skill. Absolutely. But Absolutely. then to be able to process it when you do have time and not put it in the closet forever. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah, it's putting in the closet forever. That's that's when it gets that's the really, that's, that's the unhealthy. That's the unhealthy version of it. Yeah, and, and again, it doesn't work either. It just it doesn't. This bears repeating, but it's incredibly corrosive to have unprocessed emotions and trauma in hiding out in your body. Um, hmm. Corrosive to your well-being. Corrosive to your relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I, when I look into the world, the political world, the systems, it's like, that's yeah. what I see. Like I see mm-hmm. a lot of like unprocessed shadow, 
like mm. as a culture, we never like learn how to like process and feel our feelings, right? Mm. We never learn how to let go of our emotions, let go of our feelings into into mm. move into those higher states of consciousness. So we get stuck there and bogged down there and then it gets into our shadow and then, then we start acting in all these corrosive and destructive ways in the world. I'm, right? I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna kind of challenge us here a little bit again because don't you think that the ability to see to, to see shadow in your world, to notice when you have a, a charge with somebody or some idea outside of you and recognize that somehow that's me? Mm-hmm. Mm. Don't you think that's also a luxury that's birthed from a specific developmental s- stage and and then... If so, kind of what is the work to get out of the, the blue and red trap, for example, of being yeah. polarized yeah. on one side? And be like, you're blue. You're like, oh, there's red over there. I don't have any red in me at all. It's like red's like, oh, I don't have any blue, right? Mm-hmm. And really, it's just purple, and, and they're just like tripping, you know? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Or, or do you guys have any thoughts on this? Because oh, yeah. my understanding is that development takes a lot of, like a lot of important things have to be in, in place for development to, to be fostered mm-hmm. and that it requires a kind of openness to experience, but also the discipline to stay with the inevitable challenges that arise in your life and use them to change and transform. That's kind of the idea, right? Yeah. I think, I think just hearing a conversation like this, hopefully it can plant seeds in people like that. You have to get the glimpse of the possibility mm. and to have some kind of idea of a map that, some kind of idea mm-hmm. that development is possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, you don't, if you don't have any concept that you could develop, that other people's point of view might be worth considering, you know, that the, <laughs> then you're kind of, you're stuck. Something's got to come and like plant some seeds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I like, I like that, you know, like one guy who I, I listened to that really helped me in this realm particularly is John Martini. He's got mm-hmm. this breakthrough course experience, the Martini method. Mm-hmm. And I love his work. Yeah, it's like one thing he helped shook me of is this idea that I can be all of this and none of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like that I can, um, yeah, that, that I can have like like I'm I'm going to be all blue and that person is red, right? It's like no, if you see red, then you're red too, right? Mm-hmm. Dispelling the illusion that we can be like mm-hmm. all of one thing, which I think is a corrosive yeah. idea that leads you into like taking polarized positions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like it would be something like kind of spreading the word um, somehow, um, reaching into the fray and reminding people that they're often adopting a kind of, uh, what would you call it? Limiting uh, delusional conception of yourself. Yeah. Small, <laughs> like smaller conception of that yourself. That nonetheless feels very real and very much like you and and the people who agree with you in the moment. That's right. And you can tell the degree to which you kind of like want to defend that idea that I'm all of this and none of that. Yeah. Like there's like beliefs serve roles. Like they have psychological utility. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we'll maintain into a self-conception because it like gives us security. Right. And the reason, the way we know that is when someone like pokes at it and says, no, you're actually that. Too, they'll be like, "No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm not that. How dare you?" The defensiveness you know? is a the defensiveness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a flag. <laughs> yeah, it's a flag that you notice in yourself. You're right. like, oh wow, why did I get so mad about that? Yeah, right. I'm glad you yeah. mentioned insecurity. I think when I 
reflecting my own life and path, it's not it's not like at all like I don't have insecurities anymore, but my relationship to them has changed so much where I'm become comfortable acknowledging them. Mm. Like, oh I feel there's some insecurity there, or there's some fear there, or there's some whereas in the past it would be like I didn't want to accept that. And so that would be a shadow, you know, mm-hmm. like insecure. Like, well, well, right. It's, it's especially a shadow if you don't see it. It's also a shadow if you see it and then you're like, no. You push it away. Yeah. I'm not that. I'm ultra spiritual. Right. You know, I don't have anger. I've transcended that. Yeah. There's that pitfall in the spiritual journey for sure. It's so I know, it's so I'm interesting to me. Into it I've, I've been there too. Mm-hmm. Where, where I stand now and look at it like, Someone who's trying to be ultra spiritual is just showing me they're insecure that they might not be that way. Yeah, I'm just kind of like just like Jordan arrogance. There's also like spiritual arrogance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think spiritual bypassing is is kind of like the the term we'll, we'll hear a lot, and it's like that idea. Oh, I want. It's not about being mm-hmm. spiritual. It's about being perceived as by other mm-hmm. people as spiritual. Right. Yeah. You know? right. And, yeah. See a lot of that in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> what are you talking the, about? Uh, the uh, Instagram performative spirituality. It's real fun. Yeah, it's 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 a game, you know, and it's like, what are you, you know, back to the game thing. It's like, oh, what am I trying to win? I'm trying to win approval from other people. I'm yeah. trying to, to earn. Their yeah, if, if spirituality is the metric by which right. I get attention, then I'm definitely going to increase my holdings. It's like, sure. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You know, which which to me like speaks to like it's like you know going back to the game thing. It's like, well, what what like ultimately, what are you aiming at, right? Because you can aim at whatever you want to aim at. Like you can aim at getting as much like attention for your your bypassing as you can, right? Or for your perception of or like, but is that the best thing to aim at? You know, if you have one thing to aim at, what are you going to aim at, right? Right, and if if you're aware of the contradictions in yourself enough then you can find a higher ideal of, of true self-transcendence to aim at, mm-hmm. which whose wholeness completes the void that attention-seeking is trying to fill but never does. Mm-hmm. So that's, right. that's the true promise of an authentic spirituality is that there's nothing to accomplish and nothing to gain and nothing to be. You just are. Mm-hmm. And that's, the, that's the idea of Zen meditation practice, for example. It's like you're already a Buddha. Well, why would you sit in meditation then? Because that's what Buddhas do. Mm-hmm. My, my teacher, Dai, used to say that. Yes. <laughs> that seems to embody the, the feminine aspect of just being where you are as you are right now and having complete self-acceptance and appreciation for that. Mm-hmm. I think the masculine is like, all right, all that's true and I'm playing a game, right? And, like, mm-hmm. and, I, and, I, and I can aim at something, right? And so I, I see like a lot of the people, mm-hmm. like especially like the kind of culture has us aim at things that aren't actually worth a lot of things, right? And it's like, well, aim at status. Mm. Well, it's like aim at power, right? People are like spending their whole lives like aiming at acquiring like political power and then they get there and it's like, it's, it's fucking hollow, you know? It's like when I was, when I was growing up, you know, when I was like, in my um, teenage years, it's like, oh, I want to get laid, you know? It's like, I oh, got laid. That was still. <laughs> right. But it's like, how important. Yeah, that, that one doesn't go <laughs> All right, forget that one. I mean, but when you're 15 and, and your, horm- your testosterone has just spiked the highest it will ever be in your entire life, then yeah. 
Definitely, it's more of a priority then. Yeah, but it's like going to like a kind of a Jordan Peterson idea. It's like the quality of your aim really makes a difference in, yeah. in kind of the quality of your life. Because the, the, the more good your aim is, like the more in touch it is with something good, that actually determines how much meaning you're going to feel as you move towards that aim. You know, so if you're someone sure. who's like wanting meaning, you're wanting to have a, a life that feels purposeful, then it really matters what you're aiming at. And if you're aiming at like egoic values, which I kind of think of as false idols, so to speak, because they look like the glorious thing. But when you actually get there, it's just like, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, and then you forget about it, mm. you know, like a week or a month later. It's like that's not a, it wasn't actually something that was inherently meaningful. It was ultimately hollow. Mm -hmm. To bring back this idea of concomitant uh, paradigm shifts into kind of deeper uh, value and, and deeper, well, depth, <laughs> right? So you, at first you kind of have this concrete ideal where everything is about your ability to act on the world and accumulate uh, goods for yourself and the people you care about. And then you kind of have this subtle ideal where you go into a, a deeper strata and begin creating, we could say, false idols in the subtle realm as well, having state experiences, feeling bliss, being ultra-woke and spiritual, you know, like not caring about reality and not caring about, you know, the stupid unwoke people. And it's like there's there are subtle traps too, and then it drops deeper into kind of uh, the experience of causality. This is the work of uh, Suzanne Cook-Reuter and mm. then Terry O'Fallon. It's kind of a lineage from Jane Lovinger, the psychologist, right? So um, you have causality, and then that's an e even deepening into a different kind of evaluation of what matters. So I guess all of that to say, it's like, it's okay that it changes throughout your life too. And it probably would take a couple of times of you getting to the concrete goals and be like, oh, this is actually kind of meaningless. And I need something else in my life. Like mm -hmm. what's next for me? It's gotta be a sea change because it can't be a lateral move. It's gotta be like, something's got to transform here. And it usually does if you're persistent enough. If you've come to that breaking point of like, I don't feel fulfilled in the way that my identity is interacting with what I perceive to be the, the most important thing mm -hmm. as reality, as I perceive it, then yeah, it's, it's, you're like really at your edge there. Mm -hmm. That's my specialty in coaching where I'm like, I see the kind of developmental, the edges, the places where I can just flip people mm -hmm. into something deeper. That's really why I do the work, man. I mean, that's really where I, where I shine. So you, you've seen your work as a coach in part to help people develop. Yeah. yeah, but that's what I mean by development. What Guy and I have been talking. I love saying Guy and I too. <laughs> Guy and I, right. most high. <laughs> um, that's what Guy and I. I'm talking about development as Guy and I just unpacked it. Yeah, there's levels to it. It's a more obviously more nuanced, complex understanding of what that that word means. For sure. I'm curious what um, when you're working with people, maybe specifically men, for this conversation's sake. Like, do you notice certain commonalities or similar things showing up or is everyone so unique and different that that's not really fair to say but like if, if someone comes to you for coaching and you see in certain patterns that that you feel like apply to the culture at large that you could speak to could you yeah just kind of say that again i'm just curious like what you notice in working with men specifically mm -hmm. 
like where you see them at, what they need help with, how you help them get there. Like it's kind of like to kind of generalize. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I could generalize about the masculine practitioners that are coming to me. It seems like there is this kind of upward trend towards caring more about what means most to them Mm -hmm. and caring about the trappings of their life. Oh, nice. Like whether it's somebody in their thirties or twenties or sixties. Right. So there's this sense of like, if this is not true for me, then I don't care about Mm -hmm. it. And it's creating conflict in my life because I think I'm supposed to care about. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we care more about truth than like, I don't know what. It's like the cultural belonging or something. Belonging. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's kind of a generalization about men is, is that we're, we're more oriented towards like our higher potentials and truth seeking or, you know, seeking towards, right. That kind of like dopamine system of like reward. Like I want to get up, I want to strive, I want to reach than say like a more feminine person would of, of being more about linking and bonding hmm. and uh, communing. I think that's probably the biggest generalization that I could give you. Well, I like, I like what you said about what you really care about and being honest about that. It might not be what you were told you should care about. Exactly. Right. That, that kind of, yeah. yeah. I want to piggyback off that because I've sure. seen the same yeah. thing. I've been a part of men's groups and, and men's uh, programs for like the last 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense of, um, like I get like meaninglessness or not feeling a lot of purpose in, in what they're doing. And part of the reason I think that is, is because a lot like as a culture, we've been kind of sold a, a dream, like the, like the American dream story, so to speak, mm-hmm. where it's like we're given a prescribed, men are given a prescribed way of like, this is how it is. You can be a man. This is how it is. You can feel, you know, fulfill your purpose, you know, so the, you get the, the wife and the kids and you get like the, the, the dog in the house. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we see men who like try to like fulfill that notion, like the, that recipe of what it feels like of what it is to be a man and what it means to like live in the society and be a man. And then they get to a place where they're like, all right, I'm like, what's, what's, what, what, what's the meaning in my life right now? It's like, you know, you see people going to mid- midlife crisis, I think is a, is an example of like, that's kind of shorthand for everything that we're talking about (laughs) for our culture. It's like, Oh, it's going through a midlife crisis. Everybody knows what that means. Yeah. Yeah, Right. It's become common, common knowledge. I think underneath that there's like a, um, there's a way in which I think it's a developmental aspect too. It's like we, Mm -hmm. we come in and we get ingrained with the values of society, you know, Mm -hmm. society like kind of imposes and instills its values and its dreams. And, if you follow that, you you know, it's like you're going to live someone else's dreams. You're going to live according to someone else wants you to live. And I think underneath that's the problem is we have like a lot of men haven't really found their dreams. They haven't really like, mm-hmm. or they've shut them down in some way so they can conform to like the dreams of society and needing to make money, right? They've kind of let go of like their values and their dreams in service of, you know, staying in the collective, so to speak. And yeah, it's, it's a recipe for security Right, but it's not really a recipe for like a thriving, meaningful, fulfilling life. Because the only way you can well, achieve your dreams is by living in your values, right? That's, yeah, that's, right. sure, that's sure. And and also, I think there is something to be said for maintaining your existing um, obligations to your family. For example, like that's something mm-hmm. I really value. Of like, 
I see men that have a free pass to kind of like have a family and then leave it. And I am a only child of a single mother. And like my father wasn't um, around as a kid, I'd see him very infrequently and it's, it's been extremely painful. So I probably have some charge around that specifically around uh, responsibility to family for that reason. Cause it's fucked me up so hard, you know, to not have like yeah. uh, my father around and it's, it's just been, uh, very painful. Well, that's a good thing to bring up because what I'm not saying is like, all right, dudes, all of you are listening to this. It's like, let go of everything you've yeah. built so far. Just go to Costa Rica. Just go to Costa Throw Rica. your dreads out. Leave your family behind. It's like, no. Cause, cause like, is that, that doesn't seem like, a, you know, like a, a high expression of masculinity to just completely let go. Well, it's not, and it's also a recipe. Well, and we talked about the transition from concrete to subtle and all that. Also, the trends. The trend, what am I trying to say? Going from um, like a traditional masculine role into a kind of more feminine way of being by way of creating more wholeness in yourself, right? So there are these kind of like natural progressions, and you do see. Uh, people just kind of fly off the handle with it. They're like, I'm free. Like, I'm going to change my name and move mm-hmm. to Hawaii. And it's like, right. well, I did that too when I was 21. So <laughs> I, I went through that exact same thing. So I know what it's like. But yeah, I think, again, in service of integration, in service of wholeness, it's like, don't quit your job, but find a way to up-level yourself inside of your job and then, you know, find something that's more fulfilling um, where you can, you know, shine virtue and quality into your life Hmm. um, in a deeper way without having to cut yourself off at the knees, right? So that you can run to the free fields or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. I don't know. I mean, it brings up a topic of responsibility in its relationship (laughs) to masculinity. I think it also applies to the feminine pole as well. I'm curious, like Mm. if maybe we can expand on that or what you think responsibility is like, what the role is of responsibility in, in that. <laughs> I think it's, it's definitely part of being an adult, right? Being a mature adult, taking responsibility for yourself, for yeah, your family. Mm. Like there's not, like it's a fault. You're, it's a false kind of freedom. If you're going to leave your family or abandon someone like that to achieve your sense of freedom, I think like that's what you're criticizing. Um, maybe, maybe there's some exceptions to that, but generally speaking like that we can find, freedom and responsibility together, right? That's like the integrated, I keep coming back to that word integrated. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the, the both and, the, that you can be free without needing to leave your life. Is that, that's the trap of our mind. Like, oh, if I could just get away from all this, I'd be free. Without, that's not taking responsibility for the life you've created. True. And mm-hmm. also it's disowning yourself from the power you have to act upon it and make it different. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. You think you yeah. think that in that space that like, oh, this is the only way I can like obtain freedom mm-hmm. is by abandoning all these things that I've created, all these agreements that I've made right now. Yeah. Um, Monty Python is coming to mind where they're like, run away, run away. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I think it's complex. Everyone's situation is unique. So I don't want to make some rule like you can't do this or can't do that but to take responsibility is to like look at that and like what can you how can you respond I'm kind of thinking I'm thinking about someone that um, I'm working with who is in their 20s and like severe depression and it's like hard for them 
mm. to even think about. That's a tough one. Uh, yeah, depression's hard. It's hard for them to even imagine the kind of life that you you guys are talking about helping men get to. Like that's hard. It's like hard for them to imagine that. And to me, that's like a sign of someone can't access something in their imagination. It's a sign of being like really blocked. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't even like see or open to the possibility of it. Yeah, well, it's it's physiological too. Mm-hmm. It's like there's not a lot of frontal activity going on, and, and so you're relegated to this feeling of being trapped in hell forever. You know, mm-hmm. which we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know a lot of the science behind depression. I think it's kind of an emerging field, but having been through it enough times, it's kind of like when you're in that place. It's there's no. You're not going anywhere. It's mm. like there's no bright light. Well, how did you how did you find your way out of that? Well, that was our first podcast that we recorded. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anybody listening can refer back to numero uno there, but I'll explain. <laughs> there's some, there was something in you that that woke up that went for that that kept, didn't give up. Mm. Demartini has his frame on depression which I really like yeah and I don't think it's complete in any ways because I think there's physiological aspects to depression too but, yes but one of the ways that he describes as a, a source or a cause of depression is comparison hmm. right that huh. like we'll compare ourselves to um, our ideal in some way we'll compare ourselves to other people who are doing better and yeah that's a surefire way if you like want to feel depressed you know that's a surefire way to like to like get you there you it's know just to, yeah. to compare yourself to an ideal and it's um well and in, in social media the social media age it's exactly. like let me compare myself <laughs> to all of your best moments that's that right you're putting up as that's a right. front yeah, in a performance yeah. compared to how I feel right now when I'm depressed and eating Hagen does, you know, watching <laughs> three right. of Game of Thrones. Just getting right. further and further away from that so idea. Not real. Also, <laughs> what's the point? You know, I'm never gonna be that. You know, but I, I think it actually points to like a a less than functional or like not fully optimal way of relating to ideals because there's mm. a couple of ways we can relate to ideals, and I think one is actually better than the other one like rather than comparing ourselves to an ideal and like feeling the pain of that and like mm-hmm. maybe as a, as a backwards way of motivating ourselves you know to achieve the ideal we can conceive of ideals as like guiding lights mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. it's like we can create because our ideals represent something of value to us right and if we can hold them as something like up here that i'm moving towards that's actually beautiful that mm-hmm. inspires me like yeah. then you can actually start moving towards that ideal and receiving the benefits as you start moving towards that ideal. Mm-hmm. But if you use it as a bludgeon, so to speak, to beat yourself up, it's like it doesn't. It's just going to make you feel bad. It doesn't actually work, you know. Yeah. And, and then you may part. And if you explore that, you might find you have some guilty or some limiting beliefs inside there. It's like that think you deserve actually to be punished in some way. You know? Right, right. I love, <laughs> right. Uh, I love the shadow work in that way, or the immunity yeah. to change protocol out of Harvard, because it's kind of like you're discovering parts of yourself that have a significant sway over how mm-hmm. you operate that you didn't realize were there. It's kind of like, why do I keep losing my job? It's like, do I like being broke? It's like, no. But then like you start to recover (laughs) it. It's like, I love being broke. (laughs) You know, what the fuck? Like, I didn't realize that. And then you kind of repattern. It's kind of like you 
Yeah. There's this yeah. amazing, uh, that was an amazing book called Existential Kink. Which <laughs> oh, yeah. Really just all about I've heard some buzz like, about this. Uh, right. Uh, myself, it's, it's doing exactly what you just said. It's like That's finding right. the hidden payoff of like being rejected or being broke, <laughs> being in poverty and finding the aspect of you that like loves it. Right. That's like, and then you can just celebrate that. Mm-hmm. instead of like beating yourself up you can actually like hey you i'm, I'm yeah. doing what i unconsciously want you know yeah like hell yeah or or if you yeah. love getting beat up you can just impose some you know self-inflicted masochism and celebrate that <laughs> in the proper context with the proper supports and that's don't right. go too far you know? that's right <laughs> But it's probably healthier than the alternative. Yeah, doing, it's, you know? it's, it's healthier than it being a, a long, long-term, lifelong project that's, that's right. unconscious and <laughs> right. running your life. I mean, big piece of what you're saying is making it conscious. Yeah, exactly. And, and being honest with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, too, what you guys think about deity practice, because I've been having um, kind of interesting experiences in meditation where it almost seems like my experience of the highest potential um that i have access to whether you want to call that source or god or atman or whatever name you want to give it is appearing to me as as kind of an anthropomorphized form with two faces one masculine and one feminine and there is this sense that i've like entered into hollow ground it happened the other day actually as i was crying but there was also a deeply spiritual aspect of of that moment and um it was like either I'm limited, so limited that I can only perceive the one with these two faces or that maybe masculine and feminine are just a kind of fundamental, um, not division, but just fundamental form of, of, I don't know if I'm making any sense yeah. here, but do, yeah, do you know what I mean? And, and, and maybe that's why like the deity practices in Buddhism, for example, are so powerful as this idealized image of self mm-hmm. that I can move towards. Mm-hmm. Right. So instead of like, Oh, I should, you know, be Insta famous. It's kind of like, yeah. let me visualize a perfect form of being who is fully awakened mm-hmm. and then work diligently towards that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of landing for me as this, experience not necessarily a a deity out there but a, a kind of like uh, spontaneous touching into truth as it exists in its most ultimate form that i'm currently aware of mm. so i don't know if that makes That's sense beautiful. for you guys or i think it makes sense i think um it makes me think about like you i think you're tapping into something in the collective you know, it's individual too, but it's like there are all these symbols of unity that you know we see them like two Buddhas in union or Shri yeah, Shakti, like, like or, the, the tantric. But the statues. thing is, right? There's all these these symbols and deities and uh, images, but but I feel like our culture right now in 2021 lacks that as a as a um, as a collective. And so I think I feel like our psyches are almost like searching for new symbols to like fulfill this like integrated thing of our highest potential. We could look to the Buddha, we can look at these deities and they do that, but they're not, they're, you know, I think something new is wanting to emerge. That's one thing that I thought. Excuse me. Yeah, totally. Well, it seems to me like our culture is hard at work trying to tear down the fact of the existence of difference between masculine and feminine Mm. and homogenize everything. 
Right, and I, I don't think yeah, that project is going to work. I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, like, when in meditation, like, imagery can arise, feelings can arise. Yeah. And um, that imagery can be meaningful, it can be archetypal, and it can be, like, right. it can be, like, I think, I think to go back to the beginning of our conversation, we talked about the biological reality that we're born into. Mm-hmm. If our consciousness, whatever it is, is existing in this biological reality, our brain is two halves. We, we reproduce with a man and a woman. We're born out of the womb of a woman. And so, it, like, pretty deep, maybe the deepest levels of our psyche mm-hmm. is the union of these opposites. And I don't think, I think it's something about being human, this duality, non-duality and duality. It's like very fundamental to our being that we, when we, we conceive of reality itself, it takes a form of two forces coming together. God, yeah, mm-hmm. that was beautifully put. Yeah. And then the more you kind of realize that and honor that, the more well-being there is. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I see that in my yeah. clients all the time. Yeah. I mean, the, the problem comes when you see as one of those forces as like a perpetrator and another one of those forces as, as like a victim mm-hmm. and then it's like all right all of that like all of society is a masculine you know like dominator dominating <laughs> hierarchy you know it's yeah. like a toxic patriarchal patriarchal meaty right? and it's all it's all about power everyone right? into right compliance for Right. Yeah, that's that's just sad. I mean, that's, that's not true. That, well, that's sad, and the yeah. the real problem with that, in my eyes, is that then that gives the the victims um, in this you know tragic dance full um, license to rail against every dominator that they see, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes viciously, and it's kind of like the red blue analogy we talked about before. If you don't see the dominator inside of yourself that's reacting to shadows outside of you and then viciously attacking out of this justified sense of you being a victim of life circumstances, uh, Mm -hmm. you're not going to make a lot of friends except people who think exactly like you in that way, which is right now, I think, a huge problem in Mm -hmm. the culture. Yeah, it makes me think it's coming out of wounding. Someone who's wounded by the masculine or the feminine and reacting against that. Sure. And then they're perpetuating that wounding in others because if there's someone who's trying to enter into their full power and expression and they come along and attack them or try to cancel them or tear them down. Cancel, yeah. It's like the cancel I'm, culture. It's perpetuating this wounding of like, oh, I can't be what I really am without being cut down. <coughs> That's something I felt in myself. You know? like, yeah. Yeah, it's like. Oh, yeah, man. It's, it's like sad. You know, it, it's sad because it's like, you know, when you look at their, like, what, like, the positive intention mm-hmm. of what they're wanting it's like what i what i sense is like what they're wanting is a more loving world mm. right they're just wanting a more loving and caring world and just right yeah and, and just mm. but the, it's like there's a performative contradiction you know if you're right. wanting a more loving caring and just world like that um if you come at it like an attack people yeah right you're not you want actually, more love why are you yelling at me <laughs> Right, you know, this idea of like be the change you want to see. Like, I think that's the practice in that way is to to bring the loving that you want to like see in the world. Mm. You know, and and if and if you don't, you're just creating more of what you don't want to see, just making the world a worse place. Yes, ironic too that Gandhi, who was at the forefront of this pluralistic movement towards more justice uh, cross culturally, said what you just said. And that the proponents of him who are operating in the culture today are kind of doing the opposite, opposite strategy. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? 
Do we have that? Are we tracking that yeah, correctly? No, yeah, it's, it's, it's together. It's, are we on? on God, see, Gandhi, the thing about Gandhi is, is his frequency was way higher than victim hmm. frequencies. Like these people are operating from a frequency that's, that's in shadow, uh, right? And it's disowned. Right, and right. It's, they're perceiving themselves as a victim in some ways. And these are the perpetrators. Hmm. And from that place, like all you got to do is like create more of the initial conditions. Yeah. Like yeah. all you got to do is create more. Because you just don't play nice. That's that's right. And it's people so just like, want to put you in the corner. And you're not connected to your heart, mm. right? You're just connected to anger and rage and resentment. And Yeah. You, you like the power and control that comes from blaming everybody, right? That's right. right. Wish there you. I went to that. Power. I totally, yeah. totally been there. There, there's a power, you know, that, that you have. But there certainly the is. Yeah. 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 There certainly is. I've seen, well, do you remember when, um, it was during the BLM protests and people, white people were gathering in the market square and prostrating and getting down and renouncing their white privilege. It's like, you know, right here. Yeah. What did yeah. you guys think of that? Cause it seems to speak exactly of what we're talking about of, of this, uh, I got blamed for being what I am and need to make up for it somehow because you're angry at me in this way. And this could get a little bit divisive and, and political here, but I'm genuinely curious. Yeah. Well, what I think, you guys think about I think that? It's a great question. I mean, if people are doing that out of some sense that they're inherently wrong or that they're responsible for ills in the world that their ancestors may or may not have done, I think that's pretty toxic and it's not going to have good results. But if they were like genuinely respecting another person and like acknowledging that they want to improve the world, you know, it's almost like, what are the intentions there? But it, yeah. gets, it gets interpreted that being a certain race is better or worse than others. So it's actually perpetuating the very thing it's trying to protest against, which is racism. Because if you're saying all white people, this, all white people, that, that's racist. That is reverse racism. You're yeah. looking at the individual through the lens of the collective and you're judging the individual through the lens of the collective. And that's, I think that's something we should move more away from rather than add more of. Yeah. Right? Well, and you're promoting a more loving, just world, which I'm totally on board with. That's mm -hmm. right. And, yeah. and privilege, you know, what do you do about privilege? I, I think mm -hmm. the, I know, a better response is to feel grateful for the privileges that we have, to feel grateful more yeah. and more gratitude for the privileges that we have and, and then seek to, to afford other people more yeah. privileges, more right. more of that, right? Yeah, what's the Jay-Z line? I can't help the poor if I'm one of them. Mm -hmm. So I got rich and gave back. To me, that's the win-win. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, that's good. A lot of, that's profound, yeah. actually. Rather, yeah. rather than uh, renouncing. But it would be easy for someone else from that camp mm -hmm. to just dismiss what I just said. Yes. Right there. Because that's right. a very privileged perspective. Correct. Yeah. Right, right, well, that's the <laughs> argument. So it, it kind of like gets nowhere because you can't say something logical and sensical. <laughs> you it's can't. getting written off because of your skin color and yeah. Yeah. gender, right. which is exactly what you're telling me is wrong about me. The whole argument is like completely illogical, but there's it's got a grip in our culture right mm -hmm. now. And it's... Uh, yeah, and I think it's really kind of dangerous. Not to say that there there haven't been movements towards more equality and justice over the past sixty or seven years that have been yeah. beneficial, and that we should not um, forget. No, yeah, I think we've made tremendous progress collectively. We should acknowledge that, appreciate it, and build on that rather yeah. than try to yeah. act how, like that didn't happen. Yeah, how about mutual or respect? Or tear the whole thing down. Mutual respect. Yeah, right, yeah, 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 yeah. What's, what's with us? How about, how about we respect each other? That word literally means to see yourself in. 
somebody wow. else. Mm, yeah, I don't. Cool. I don't really see myself in somebody groveling around in the floor. Although that's a a really good exercise in shadow work, right there, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh. <laughs> see me. See you. I was standing just... <laughs> upright. We respect each other. There's love. There's appreciation. There's camaraderie. Yeah. Well, I'm not. Like we're I'm not together. The, I'm not the first person to think of this or talk about it, but like it's it's like the idea of original sin. Mm-hmm. And the, um, they're groveling on the ground. It's like people in the Middle Ages, like whipping themselves in the back. Self-flagellation. Self-flagellation. Hey, we talked about that earlier. We did. There's some guilt. <laughs> there's some guilt just in the sense of being alive or being a man, being a white person. There's some guilt connected at some existential level. And you think and that's, you a, that's like, a Western notion, an inherited Western notion from uh, our, our religi- religion? It seems like it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's like an odd thing. It's uh, it's kind of bizarre. It goes back to I mean the whole myth of Jesus being crucified and dying for our sins and then we have to feel guilty or bad or I don't know like it's <laughs> mm. yeah, I mean, I'm kind of just maybe I'm butchering that and people don't you know, have I think more that's the way it's interpreted but, but I yeah. think that's the yeah. way it's mo- like at large interpreted is like yeah. they're like saying you should feel guilty for right. this and it's like well, on the Hawkins scale, guilt is like at 40, you know. And it's that's pretty, like low that. pretty low <laughs> down there. pretty low down It's like, so any kind of theology. Increase your vibration. <laughs> that's encouraging you to feel guilty, you know. Yeah. That's saying you should feel this all the time, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. About rise to magnificence and kindness and generosity and care. Mm-hmm. And, and give back to your world that so needs it. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I, I do think there's a role for guilt, like... Because I think there's different kinds of guilt. There's guilt in which mm. we can, can castrate ourselves, yeah. or there's guilt in which, like for a moment, like we see we we see that we acted in a way that's different than than aligned with our values, and someone mm. we cared about was hurt in that mm. way. And then I think that's a moment of like really letting in the guilt and feeling it, rather than like I, going to. I agree, man. Blame. I think the the difference between that and the former that you mm-hmm. just mentioned, though, is that in this kind of like a priori guilt inherited that's running amok and, and making us feel like we have to apologize for being ourselves, whoever we happen to be. I think probably this is not just a white phenomenon or a male phenomenon. I think that one, when you realize you did something wrong and then you take steps to write it and then you ask for forgiveness to who it was wronged by you and they forgive you. It's like the guilt goes away because mm-hmm. you, you've right. you developed in the face of a moral quandary and then majors elevated yourself That's right. and out of the guilt by doing right. But like with the former, it's kind of like, you, how do you get out of that? Yeah. If, if you're it's just like healthy guilt versus like unhelpful, not healthy. That's yeah. right. Guilt. That's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Guilt. That's <laughs> just going to have you like, become self-sacrificial that's gonna be uh, you're not gonna really own your power if you're really in touch with guilt and that also paints a conception of human nature and who you are in a way that's like i don't think it's actually accurate i think it's um yeah well it must be both right if we experience all these things we must be in heaven and hell all the time at every moment and have (laughs) access to either one like with with uh, hawkins scale there it's like Mm -hmm you tend to be in one place or the other. And that's been my experience too. I'm in heaven or I'm in hell or I'm somewhere. In purgatory. purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's like we have access to either. Um, so yeah, clarifying the, the lower levels going into the shadow um, with the proper support and tools and guidance. 
like a cool coach like me or guy <laughs> or a therapist like Julian, right? And then reintegrating and like plumbing the depths to create more energy up the central axis for more access to the, the heavenly levels. Mm-hmm. By the way, what's the top of his chart? Man, uh, it's not love. I think it's peace. Peace. Peace, peace is at the top. Oh, yeah. 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 So I was like surprised. I'm like, oh, I think agape would be uh, at the top. But <laughs> right. It kind of depends on what he means by the words too. It's the rain. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Peace. Interesting. It makes me think of like the Buddhist teachings of like equality or spaciousness and then like compassion arising out of that space of wisdom. But like wisdom is like the kind of top value there, I think. Mm-hmm. But that real compassion comes out of that. So in a certain sense, I guess it's a little bit derivative of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like wisdom. Like I love that you just mm-hmm. mentioned wisdom. Like what's the solution to the guilt, you know, that, that existential uh-huh. guilt? Right, I'm trying that too. Yeah. The cultivation of wisdom. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not self-flagellation unless you're into that kind of thing, right? It's it's actually. It's like yeah, probably not. Right, you know, self-flagellating okay. into a heavenly place and then reintegrating these these yeah. lower faculties. You could call them, mm-hmm. I guess, more primal faculties. I was gonna say, I think it's a good good to come back to the question, of like, what's actually helpful here? If you're at the protest because you want to make a positive difference. Is me demeaning myself, diminishing myself, feeling guilty, feeling bad? How is that helping other people? <laughs> you know, like that's a good question for me to like, okay, if you, what's actually going to help? Like if I can actually be, feel good in myself and help other people feel good in themselves, that's going to do something. Well, I'm, I'm sure know? it was serving somebody in that they felt justified and right yeah. in making other people wrong. Right. It may have, ju- yeah. Well, I was gonna, the other thing I was going to say that's probably not politically correct but Uh-oh. I want to say it <laughs> cover your ears everyone <laughs> listening got a trigger like, warning coming <laughs> <laughs> find a safe space <laughs> but like with the with the protest movement and watching it I went to several of the BLM you know Black Lives Matter protests when they first started but then I was like watching it over time and it's possible to be in such a victim mentality that you create the circumstance that you you're creating your own reality to some degree you're, you're calling that in like if you're if you go to a protest and you're protesting police brutality and then police show up to see what you know kind of monitor the situation and you're yelling at them and you're throwing things at them and the city gave you a curfew to go home by midnight and you break that curfew you're just like asking for the police to exert some amount of force on you and then that's going to justify your reason for being there and perpetuate this cycle mm-hmm. and in portland oregon that cycle is so tiring <laughs> like it's been going on for so long mm. for these like protesters are like battling the police in the streets for like months and it's like it's just so absurd that they think that they're somehow in the right and the police are in the wrong after this long amount of time where they're like just right, they're causing they're, all this destruction they're doing all this mm-hmm. crazy stuff like, yeah yeah so. destroying local businesses yeah and then the local governing bodies like have commanded the police not to do anything so they just sit by and right because they're they don't want to be the oppressors but then the result is just chaos and destruction and <laughs> the breakdown of order and like people like trying to move out of the Bravo. city like just yeah no one wants to not live there a place to be yeah it's infuriating and it, I've it's heard fueled, it's fueled, so bad recently it's fueled the right wing you know it's fueled the opposite side it gets them fuel for their fire that's right yeah, yeah. It just yeah, increases, yeah, exactly. increases yeah. the polarization yeah. I, I believe that some yeah. of the rise in right wing nationalism or like white whatever supremacy stuff is, is being fueled by people by the other side you know the people who are groveling on the street, you know, like kneeling down, like the, the, the guilty, 
that's actually fueling these people are like, I don't want to feel bad for myself, so I'm going to go to the other extreme of like, yeah, I am the best. And <laughs> it's, sure. It's like they're fueling each other. You know? mm-hmm. Steve, Stephen Pinkerton, um, like incredible philosopher of our time, said something the other day on this podcast with Jordan Peterson, actually. Mm-hmm. I know you're a fan. I love all your references of JP. Um, he said something like, <clears throat> so the the fact that the liberal governing bodies shut everything down during COVID, including small businesses, but like Black Lives Matter protests, totally fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about it? Polarized the right in a way that they no longer trusted the institutionalized left, and then were like, "Fuck you, we're not wearing masks." Something like that, and and there was a kind of causation that he kind of was suggesting was like, probably the liberals are as responsible for COVID deaths in that way wow. as the conservatives. I agree. I well, honestly agree. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of makes you think, right? Yeah. Because um, that, that, that's one example where it seemed like extremely hypocritical. But mm. the people in charge saying, yeah. yeah, these protests are good, like they didn't see it that way. So people had, they had different perspectives. But it's like, I remember like um, there were protests against some of the shutdown happening and how heavily criticized that were. And they were, they were pretty small. But then the BLM protests were so huge. Yeah. And, no one, and those people disappeared. No one said anything about <laughs> COVID. They've never been seen again. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I went to some of the BLM protests when they first started. It was like a festival. And I was like, oh, "That was awesome." They haven't yeah. been able to gather in a while. I was like excited about it. But then later, I was like, "Wait a minute! Isn't are we in the middle of a pandemic? Like, what's is yeah. anyone thinking about that?" <laughs> I, I hooked up with this with this girl in in late 2019, and she would go to these protests and bring giant speakers and just like start dance parties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, come on, y'all! Like, let's dance, and it worked. Like, uh-huh. it was an incredible tactic. Yeah. Well, it's been a great conversation. Yeah, it feels like a good place to kind of wrap up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, guys. Yeah, any parting Thanks. thoughts? Hmm. I, I really like this idea of cultivating wisdom. It's, mm. it's, it's like a method towards like getting out of these victimized states, you know, because yeah. it's like, it's, that's not wise. <laughs> it's not going to work, right? And then, like, and, and uh, like, what's what's the role of religion then? You know, parting up of like helping people cultivate wisdom, and could religion be doing that better? That would be where my ne- my attention goes. Next. Sure. Yeah, religion and philosophy. I will end with this idea of embodying the idealized image and and moving in a disciplined way that recognizes that the pattern is always shifting. You always have to reorient in your life as you're transforming and developing. But to, to constantly be awake and as you are, but to also strive towards this sense of deeper wholeness and, and perfection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. So my final words will just be, whatever you are, love yourself. Ah. <laughs> it's like a billboard whatever biology whatever cultural conditioning you start with trying to love yourself because that's the place where you can make real progress well said thank you so much for listening if you have found value in this podcast if you appreciate it there are many ways you can help support the show you can make a donation at patreon.com you can also just share it for free with your friends and followers on social media 
or in an email, let someone know about it. That's a great way to support the podcast. You can also leave us a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts or if you're watching on YouTube, you can hit the subscribe button. You can hit that like button. Uh, check out our website, estateofmindpodcast.com. Learn more about me and my work at estateofmindcounseling.org. Thank you so much, and I will see you here next time. <laughs>